I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and this is our press review show, the show in which we flick through the back pages, scour the internet and pick out some of the stories that are doing the rounds with regards to our club and some of the big stories, of course, with regards to some of the others. Lots and lots to get into, as always, today. Uh, apologies for the lack of a full-length podcast yesterday. Uh, was on the move, was on the road all day long. Uh, did get a Chronicles of Aguna extra video out, though, which was a short snippet uh, of uh, my uh, show with Adi Oladipo on Talk Sport 2 between 4 and 6 p.m. If you want to listen to that back in its entirety, you can find it on the TalkSport app. So head over there, uh, go onto the uh, schedule slash catch up tab, find the show. It's called The Social. Uh, it was from 3 to 6 p.m. I was on from 4, so you might want to skip uh, the first hour if you're not interested in horse racing, because that was the main focus uh, of that part. But plenty to get into today, as always. And of course, a little bit later on, uh, we are going to uh, be we're going to be looking ahead to the game against Brighton. We're going to be doing a full preview show live on this very YouTube channel at 5 p.m. UK time. So looking forward to bringing you guys that. And of course, that'll be available in podcast format shortly afterwards as well. Um, I hope you're all good. Big hello to everybody in the live chat. Hope you're all uh, keeping well. Hope you're all looking forward to the weekend. It's going to be uh, a stressful one, I feel, from an Arsenal perspective, just given some of the news uh, that has broken over the last sort of 24, 48 hours. We were aware that Thomas Partey was unlikely to be available, of course, for the game against Brighton. But we've since heard that he's probably going to be out for a number of weeks, which is not good news for Mikel Arteta and the Gunners at all. But as I say, on the Brighton preview, we'll do a better job of uh, diving into that and trying to suss out what the best way is for Mikel Arteta to make up for the absences uh, that we currently have, Kieran Tierney and Thomas Partey most notably, but also Takahiro Tomiyasu, who remains sidelined at the moment. OK, let's review the back pages. Let's have a look at what the press are printing, writing, publishing, whatever you want to call it these days, uh, with regards to the Arsenal. And the first story uh, is in relation to Darwin Nunez. Now, Darwin Nunez, of course, played for Benfica against Liverpool earlier on in the week and gave a very, very good account of himself. He showed a lot of the qualities that I've been bleating on about uh, over the last few weeks. And I think he's put himself in the shop window, hasn't he, uh, with a good performance on the Champions League stage. Now, I think Benfica are going to get eliminated. I never really gave them all that much hope in progressing through that particular tie. But for Darwin Nunez, as I say, it's an opportunity to show what he can do on the biggest stage. And I thought, um, obviously, scoring a goal, taking it well. I know there was a mistake from Konate in the lead-up to that goal. The ball came from the right-hand side. Konate made a mess of dealing with it. It came through to Darwin Nunez, but he still had that composure to sort of trap the ball, um, reshape his body, and then slot it into the corner with his right foot. So Darwin Nunez showing some composure. You'd expect him to score there. But of course, he was a nuisance for Liverpool uh, at certain points on the night, sort of getting in behind, making smart and clever runs, uh, working 
uh, that Liverpool backline, stretching them, uh, running channels, as I say, but also uh, providing a bit of a presence inside the penalty area as well. So, yeah, really enjoyed his performance. Thought it was a good one. Uh, according to the Express today, um, Arsenal, Manchester United and Spurs, who are all credited with an interest in the Uruguayan, have been told that the player is going to cost them £67 million this summer. So that's the price. The price has been set for Darwin Nunez. Do I really think that this is a deal that you need to spend £67 million on to get it done? And this is just my opinion. No. Um, I think that this is a deal that Arsenal could probably do for less. I think it's a deal that anybody could do for less. I don't really see Benfica as a club being in a position where they're going to be able to turn down something in the region of 50, 55 million pounds. And we know that in January, Arsenal were unwilling, perhaps unable to spend around 72, 75 million on Alexander Isak. Um, why was that? Well, we're not sure. Uh, we'd heard and we continue to hear that Mikel Arteta and Arsenal are huge fans of the Swedish striker and that he's a player who's been on our radar for quite some time. Now, his goal return this season has undoubtedly been underwhelming. There's no question about that. Um, but if we weren't willing to pay 70 to £75 million pounds for a player whom uh, we supposedly have loved and adored for a long, long time, would we be willing to pay around about 70 million, 67 is the figure quoted, for Darwin Nunez? I'd have to question that. Did Sociedad's sort of insistence on the uh, the release clause being met uh, sort of come as a consequence of it being in January? I think so. I think, uh, as I, and I said it in January, I think that if Arsenal had gone in for Alexander Isak in the summer and do go in for Alexander Isak in the summer, they'd probably be able to do a deal at less just because Real Sociedad would then be in a position, not mid-season, to take that money and to reinvest it back into the side, perhaps bring in another striker, perhaps add in other areas as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it, let's see. Um, you know, let's see, um, you know, what happens with this. As I say, though, £67 million feels a little bit steep for Darwin Nunez. And I know people always say, and people say this to me quite a bit, you shouldn't care about the transfer fee. You shouldn't, as a supporter, concern yourself with the finances of the club. Well, on the one hand, I get what you're saying, and I and I kind of agree. But by that same token, I think Arsenal being frivolous in the way they spend money is what's largely contributed to where we find ourselves and where we've been over the last few years, spending vast amounts of money on players who weren't good enough, on players who weren't fit for purpose, and on players whom we were never going to see uh, adequate return on that investment. So when you look at Darwin Nunez, I think he's someone obviously with a lot of room to grow still. You know, you're talking about um, a young lad who's coming from, OK, not the best league, but a club that, uh, you know, are used to operating under pressure. Um, he's just 22 years old. He's got lots of room to grow, develop and improve. Um, so you don't mind spending a little bit over the top for players like that. We did that with Ben White. We did that with Aaron Ramsdale. We certainly paid more at the time to bring them into the club than most people would have valued them at. So sometimes you have to go that extra mile and you take that little bit of risk. I just think, given Benfica's circumstances, if Arsenal were to go in straight away with £67 million, some would say that's good because it means that we'd probably get the deal done and there'd be no messing around. But I think that would be maybe slightly irresponsible. Now, it's different if you start at 50 
and you're going up, 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 and you really like the player. Obviously, when you start a negotiation, you go in with the baseline and then you've got a, a ceiling, a limit that you would go to. Um, and, and it depends whether Arsenal think that that £67 million ceiling that Benfica have apparently set, um, you know, is is worth paying. But the point I'm trying to make here is that I do believe, and I said this about Martin Odegaard last summer and I was spot on about it, um, I do believe that this is one of those deals that you can get done for less than the quoted figure. I really do. So if I were Arsenal, I would move for Darwin Nunez. I wouldn't go in with the first bid of £67 million, though. I'd probably start, if that is the quoted price, at around about the 48 to £50 million mark, because I believe that Benfica would come to the table for that. But that part is, of course, just my opinion. Just a reminder that that report that Arsenal, Manchester United and Spurs have been told Darwin Nunez will cost them £67 million this summer, that comes from the Express. Elsewhere, it's being reported by Football Insider that Arsenal are keen on Aston Villa defender Esri Konsa. Now, Esri Konsa um, has been a player who I think has risen quite quickly at Aston Villa. Um, a lot of the talk was previously about Tyro. I beg your pardon. Uh, where did you hear me up to? I don't know what happened. I think my mic uh, came out. Oh, nightmare. Basically, Esri Konsa has played, uh, let me go back to what I was saying, just in case you guys missed it. Apologies, problem with doing live streams. Esri Konsa's Aston Villa contract expires in June 2026. Now, that suggests that there isn't sort of an urgency in Aston Villa's part to get rid of the player. They also hold a one-year extension option uh, on that as well. Uh, so, of course, Arsenal looking at Esri Konsa, According to this report from Football Insider, it's one of those where if he was someone we're interested in, and I'm not saying we should or we shouldn't be, we'd probably have to pay a hefty fee. Aston Villa are in no need of money. Aston Villa are in no need of transfer funds. So, um, you know, Esri Concert, if he is somebody that we're interested in, we're going to have to break the bank. I don't envisage Aston Villa, unlike Benfica, sort of uh, wilting uh, to a lower price or, or feeling like it's a a situation or a deal that they really need to take. So Esri Concert being linked with a move to Arsenal by Football Insider said to be somebody that Arsenal and Mikel Arteta are keen on. I guess for me, I don't really want to put too much sort of emphasis on this story because I don't know how true it is. It's not one that we've heard before. It's one that's very much, I think, come out of the blue. And therefore, I don't really want to kind of pay too much attention to it at the outset. But what I think is interesting here is if Arsenal are looking at a centre-back, what does that tell you maybe about William Saliba's future? Does that tell you that William Saliba is, um, you know, headed for the exit? Does that tell you that a decision has been taken, that a view has been taken uh, around William Saliba and that it is uh, clear in the club's minds that he will not be uh, returning to the football club this summer? I don't know. Uh, we've had a lot of debate back and forward about William Saliba and we've talked about what would be the smart thing to do, what would be the right thing to do. And I think in a lot of ways, it depends on the player. If William Saliba doesn't feel like, um, you know, Arsenal uh, is, is the best place for him in terms of his future, he's not bought into the project, then you'd be stupid not to sell him and to try and recuperate as much of that initial £27 million investment as possible. If he does want to come back and he does want to fight for his place and he does 
buy into the project, then given what we've seen of him at Marseille and that he looks like a real talent, I don't have any qualms or worries uh, about him physically in the Premier League, which I think for a centre-half is probably more important than any other position. Um, then, yeah, I'd welcome him back with open arms. But I think the ball is very much in William Saliba's court here. I think that there's not really a question about his talent. He's still a bit raw and he still makes mistakes. Let's not pretend that that isn't the case. But I think it, the, uh, the the decision lies with William Saliba. Can he get on board? Can he show Mikel Arteta that he's going to be, as, as Mikel would put it, on the ship? Um, that's the big thing for me. And I think that will determine where he ends up. But interesting that Arsenal are being linked with another centre-back, despite, of course, uh, many feeling as though the Frenchman is going to return. Another report I just wanted to quickly touch on comes from Ekrem Connor, who says that Leeds and Brighton uh, are keen on Eddie and Ketia. Now, Eddie and Ketia uh, not willing, as it seems, to sign a new contract at the Arsenal, despite the Gunners having uh, reportedly put one on the table for him. This is baffling to me. I get it. I get that Eddie and Ketia has done his time being a sort of backup, done his time being a sort of reserve. But it was rumoured, wasn't it, um, not too long ago that he rejected a move to Crystal Palace. And that is interesting for me because Crystal Palace are a mid-table Premier League side, a side who are on the up, a side who are building around a young core under an exciting young coach in Patrick Vieira. Why did Eddie Nketiah think that that was beneath him? I don't get it. Um, you know, and, and again, look, the fact or the talk that he rejected that move are, it is just rumours. Um, it is just transfer talk. I don't have that on any good authority. I'm just going by what I was reading. But it baffled me a little bit because if you don't want to sign a new contract with Arsenal, you can only assume that's because you want opportunity. But you're not going to get opportunity at a top club, Eddie Nketiah, because you've not shown yourself to be at that level. He went to Leeds United under Marcelo Bielsa, didn't do all that well. Um, showed flashes, of course, at Ellen Road, but ultimately didn't do enough to force his way into Marcelo Bielsa's starting lineup on a regular basis. And OK, things have changed there, but you've been to that type of club and shown that, you know, you you, you didn't really stand out. And and so that for me, if I were Eddie Nketiah, would tell me that I have to be a little bit more um, sort of open to the clubs that I'm willing to entertain when it comes to my future. Leeds. Um, you know, I don't know that that would work. Brighton, I think, are a team that have been crying out for a striker and need a striker and are desperate for someone who can put the ball in the back of the net. Um, often very, very good in their build-up play, often very sort of, um, you know, fluid in the way they play the game and, and very good on the eye. But a big problem for them has been putting the ball in the back of the net. Would you go out there and hang those hopes on Eddie Nketiah. Now, Eddie Nketiah is going to be a free agent in the summer, which means it's a low-risk transfer in a lot of ways. But even still, even with the financials aside, I wouldn't look at Eddie Nketiah if I were Graham Potter and say, this guy is going to make the difference. This guy is going to come in and score goals on a regular basis and, and change our fortunes as a football club. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that those two, according to Ekrem Connor, are being linked with a move for Eddie. But if I were those two, I'm not sure that I would, I'm not sure that I would take Eddie and on the basis of him being the one and only. Um, maybe I'd take him in addition to someone else, but then that limits his 
sort of playing time, which me, which in sorry, in which case, why wouldn't he stay at Arsenal? All baffling. The whole Eddie and Ketia situation for me is is baffling. Uh, GB says the understanding I have is that Arsenal were the ones that weren't happy with aspects of the proposed deal from Palace. We did read that as well. Um, we saw contradicting reports during that period of time. Um, and, and around Eddie and Ketia, it's all been a little bit unclear for a while. So I'm not saying that you're wrong, mate. Um, but I did hear and did read uh, that Eddie Nketiah himself, aside from maybe Arsenal not being happy with the terms, was not quite convinced about that as well. Um, in which case, I'm, I'm confused because if I were Eddie Nketiah, I'd probably jump at an opportunity like that right now. Um, the other bit of news that I just wanted to bring you guys, and this one comes from Mundo Deportivo in Spain. Uh, Real Betis are planning on opening talks with Arsenal over the permanent signing of Hector Bayer in this summer. Now, uh, this is one I think we expected um, Hector Bellerin has gone to Real Betis, needed a change of scenery, no doubt about that. 27 years old, the Spaniard. Um, back at the club, his family supported. His Arsenal contract is due um, to expire in June 2023. So next season would be his last season if he was to stay with the club. Um, so it makes sense for everybody. It makes sense for Hector Bellerin. He wants to go uh, to Spain. He's happy at Real Betis. He's done quite well there this season as well, to be fair to him. Um, but yeah, it, it just feels like this is one that was always coming and I'm not against uh, this deal being done. It seems to work for everybody. Uh, according to Transfer Mark, Hector Bellerin's value is at around about £18 million. He's made 20 appearances in La Liga um, and four in the Europa League uh, for the club, also four in the Copa del Rey as well. So... Yeah. Um, uh, li listen, if we got five million pounds for Hector Bellerin, I think the club would take that. Going into the last year of his contract, clear he doesn't want to be there. Clear we're not too fussed if he's there or not. Nobody on the continent, especially not a La Liga club, with all due respect to Real Betis, are going to come in and break the bank to sign Hector Bellerin. Um, Harvey says 10 mil maybe. Mate, I'd be shocked if we got that. I really would. Um, I think it's going to be more like £5 million. We keep talking about Arsenal being bad sellers and we keep talking about um, Arsenal, you know, over the years, really struggling to get the kind of transfer fees that maybe the fans and maybe the market uh, sort of reflect as being fair for some of our players. But the, the bottom line is this. You can't sell something that isn't in demand. If nobody wants it, you're not going to get the price that you perhaps think it's worth. And in Hector Bellerin's case, Real Betis will be saying, well, he doesn't want to be with you. He's made that clear. He's come here, he's settled. Hector Bellerin's camp will be saying to Arsenal, you kept me there longer than I wanted. I wanted to leave the year before. You used me to negotiate the player uh, salary uh, sort of reduction during the COVID period. I've done a lot of good things for this club. I've been a good ambassador for this club over the years. As I say, he was told, wasn't he, the season prior to him actually leaving, that he could go. Um, I think Hector Bellerin will look and say, you know, and, and look, it, it works both ways because Arsenal have already done Hector Bellerin a favour by allowing him to go to Real Betis on loan. I mean, we've been playing with Cedric Suarez uh, for, for long periods this season and you might disagree. I think Hector Bellerin's a better fullback than him. So we have let a fullback go who we could have used and could have done with at various points this season out on loan because it's what he wanted. Is he going to try and push again? Is he going to sort of 
or will his camp, will his representatives be again saying, you know, come on, I've been a good servant. You're going to lose me for free next summer anyway. Or, or I'm going to go into the last year of my contract. Let me go. Let me go. Get what you can in. I, I think there's been a an acceptance at Arsenal uh, sort of above that we're not going to get what we think we should get for a lot of the players that we currently have on our books. And so anything you can get would be as a bonus. But I don't think the plan has been built around bringing in transfer fees. I mean, you think about some of the players that are going to be leaving. Uh, Matteo Genduzzi is going to join Marseille for, what, seven, eight million pounds. Lucas Torreira, uh, we think, is going to join Fiorentina on a permanent deal. How much is that going to bring in? Again, maybe seven, maybe eight million pounds. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I'd assume, is probably going to leave this summer. What are we going to get for him? Not a great deal. Hector Bellerin, another one. It's about clearing the decks. It's about clearing them off the wage bill. It's about clearing them off of the roster, if you like. But it isn't about getting vast amounts of money in because that's simply not possible in this current climate and in this current market. Now, people will say that I'm wrong. People will say that um, I'm giving the club a, a free pass in the fact that they're doing bad business when it comes to selling and moving players on. I don't see it like that. I see it as the reality of the situation. And there are a lot of people out there that don't want to accept that that's the reality. But five to seven million pounds for Hector Bellerin feels more like what we're going to get. Um, and I know that's not what people perhaps think we should be getting, but I think that's a roundabout on the money. OK, um, get some questions in. Uh, I'd love to hear from you guys in the chat box. There's lots of you here, lots of you with me live this morning. So please do fire over your questions and I'll pick up as many of those as I possibly can between now and the end of the show. Probably going to go for another eight to ten minutes. But don't forget, we'll be back later on today with that Arsenal versus Brighton and Hove Albion preview. Big, big game that uh, for Arsenal in the context of our season. It's really important that we bounce back right away. I've said it before. I'll say it again. No fixture in the Premier League is easy. But if you're looking for one on paper that you'd like to have coming into it with injury problems and off the back of a really disappointing result midweek, then that is probably it, isn't it? Um, OK, Get your questions in. We'll come and we'll take some of those in just a second. Hello, welcome back to part two of the Chronicles of Aguna press review with me, Harry Simiu, part of the 90 Min Football Network. Let's see uh, what you guys are saying uh, in the chat box. Um, da -da 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 -da. Uh, Jason, when talking about sort of moving these players on and you know, how much we're going to get for them and the fact that it probably might be a bit underwhelming in a lot of people's eyes. He says, in all fairness, he's part of the last batch of a bad bunch we need to get rid of. He's referring to Hector Bayerin. So anything is better than nothing. We can start judging the club again when selling from 2023 onwards. Yeah, I think, and I think, as I said, there's an acceptance within the club that that's going to be the case. Now, sometimes you don't keep throwing money at something that's failing. What you do is you look to cut your losses. And that is probably a rule in business as well as in sort of the wider business world. Um, it's not one that's just exclusive to football. So, yeah, you don't keep throwing money at something that isn't working. Sometimes you have to cut your losses. And that feels very much like what we'd be doing uh, with the sale of Hector Bellerin to Real Betis, if that is indeed successfully negotiated. Uh, Trevor says, Harry, what fee do you think we would get for Enketia? Don't forget he's an under 23, um, which Arsenal are entitled to a fee. Well, 
he's going to leave as a free agent. Um, I'm not really 100% sure of the rules around if we get compensated because of his age and all that. I'd have to look that up, I've got to be honest. But to my knowledge, he's just going to go for free. Um, he's going to go for free. And if you're asking me what fee I would have asked for for Eddie and Ketia had he not been out of contract, again, it would have been about the seven to eight million pound mark. Um, I think that would have been fair. You've you got to remember that Eddie and Ketia in the Premier League has never proven himself. Okay, yeah, he's popped up um, a few times in the League Cup and done uh, a few things and, and sort of scored a few goals. Um, obviously made a big impact prior to that in the under-23s and stuff. But if I go to stats by competition for Eddie and Ketia, um, let's uh, filter that down as well to the Premier League. He's made 50 appearances in the Premier League, Eddie Nketiah, 50, the, mo the majority of which have come as a substitute. He's only scored five goals. That's one in 10. Uh, for a centre-forward, that doesn't really read well. It's not the kind of record you'd look at and go, oh, yeah, we can improve on that. We can make something of that. Now, I'm not saying that his numbers should be really high because I, like, I'm not saying he should be a one in two or one in three, even a one in four man. Even a one in five man, because, of course, as I say, the majority of those appearances have come as a substitute. More often than not, late on in games where perhaps the game state isn't quite right for him uh, to, to get into it in time to to sort of warm up, to to get cracking. So I don't want to be too harsh on them, on Eddie and Ketia um, with regards to that goal record. But the reason I raise that is it's, it's not something you, I would look at if I were a scout and say, OK, this, you know, we can work with that. There are players that you look at and you think their level at the moment is slightly below what you think they can be or is slightly below what you deem to be acceptable. But you look at other parts and other elements of their game and you think, well, with that, I trust in my ability as a coach or, or in our ability as a club to develop that player, take him up to the next level and make the sort of required improvement. Don't think that that is the case, however, with Eddie Nketiah. So, um yeah, seven, eight million pounds. And that is purely based on the fact that he's young and still has room to grow. Uh, let's see uh, what else we've got in the chat. Uh, Tebow says, sorry for being late, but have you seen anything of Gakpo from yesterday? Of course, PSV Eindhoven played against Leicester City. Haven't seen anything of that game. I've got to be honest. I don't know if he played. If he did, I don't know if he played very well. Um, I was watching West Ham against Leon last night, uh, so I haven't seen anything of Cody Gakpo in that game. Um, but of course, he's a player that, as I've spoken about before on one of our recent editions of the Chronicles of Aguna Extra, I'd be quite interested in us signing, but not as this player that we're looking to convert to a centre forward, as some people have spoken about. It would be as a, a player who plays on the left hand side, just as he does. Um, Afsar says, Harry, would you be happy with the top six finish this season? I know the expectations uh, have gone up. Um, uh, happy is not the right word I'd use. Um, content is probably more accurate to the way I think I would feel. Uh, look, I don't want us to finish sixth. I won't be happy with us finishing sixth off the back of the way the season's gone. Fifth. I can live with as long as we continue to compete and we do our best. Fifth, I can live with. Um, if you'd have told me at the outset of the season that we were going to finish fifth, I'd have taken that. I said that finishing in the top six was a must. Um, fifth was about where I thought we should finish. And fourth would be the maximum. 
That 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 was how I measured it at the start of the season. And I think I've been very consistent in that throughout the course of the campaign. Of course, given the position we've been in, to not finishing in the top four is going to hurt. But I think when the dust settles a little bit and we look at the progress that this club has made on and off the field over the last sort of 12 months in terms of bringing in the right players, bringing in good young players who can develop, changing the culture, rebuilding that connection between ourselves, a lot of the fans, not all the fans, obviously, but a lot of the fans, and team and the manager. I think all of that is really, really important and it helps create a platform from which we can hopefully spring onto a better level next season. Uh, but I think, yeah, the expectations, as you say, Afsar, have gone up slightly. A fifth place finish now is has now turned into like a kind of minimum for me to be content. Um, whereas it was what I thought we would, it was about the average uh, for me before the, uh, before the campaign. Now it's a must for me. Fourth would be a bonus um, and sixth would be not a disaster because you're still finishing in the top six, but not not what I'd have hoped for given the way the season panned out. So that's where I'm at on that. Uh, John Daly says, uh, do you get as annoyed as me with signings coming at the end of the window? I want to see them for pre-season. I do get annoyed about it. I do get irritated by that. But what I think you have to, you have to bear in mind, John, is that the, the club's Arsenal Football Club, when they set out to do a deal in the summer, do not want it to drag to the last day. What dragging it or, or letting it run till the last day does or the last sort of week or whatever, it puts clubs in a position, clubs who are selling and clubs who are hardballing and being stubborn in a position where they kind of get to the point where they go, well, it's now or never kind of got to take this or they're going to leave it. And I think that clubs use that to get the best possible deal. And it works both ways. If you're selling and somebody comes in late, you're going to bump up the price ever so slightly because you're now limited in what you can do to replace that player. But also for a buying club, sometimes it works in their interest from a business perspective to let the thing run on. So I think there's a bit of both here. But what I would say is no manager goes into pre-season not wanting all his business done up front. No manager wants to have to have players integrating in at the end of uh, the transfer window. They all want, um, you know, they all want it to be um, it, it to be done, dusted and sorted uh, sort of early doors so that they can get on with their business and, and integrate those players and work on the team as best as possible. So it is annoying, but I think it's just one of those things. We're not the only club that do it. We're not the only club that move for players late on. It's just the way of the world at the moment. Uh, Peeny Ween says, uh, isn't it too early to panic despite the issues still in pole position as it stands? Look, we're still in a very strong position. Yeah, of course we are. And who's to say that some of the teams around us are not going to drop points? Who's to say that Spurs aren't going to drop points at Villa on Saturday evening under the lights at Villa Park? That's not going to be an easy game. Who's to say that Chelsea aren't going to uh, sort of spiral out of control and that potentially open the door for both Arsenal and Spurs? to get into the top four. The point I'm trying to make here is that, yeah, you're right that it's too early to panic. But equally, the flip side of that is I don't I don't think it's wrong to be concerned. I think the two players that we've lost, and we've obviously been without Tommy Asu for a while, managed to cope with that. But to now lose Tierney and Partey in the way we have, it significantly weakens us as a football team. And we'll talk about it on the Brighton preview. What do we do to compensate for that? How do you, as I always think, is the best way to approach this. How do you reduce the 
level of change? How do you reduce the impact that those injuries have? How do you minimise it? How do you keep it down to a minimal level and hopefully be sort of at the level that you've been for a while? It's a really difficult one for the manager to deal with. It's a really difficult one for Mikel Arteta to have to kind of uh, sort. And, and I don't envy him and his position at the moment. Troy Jarvis says, uh, are you confident we will make the top four, Harry? I was never confident um, that it was a done deal like some people were. Um, I obviously felt like we could do it over the last few weeks when you looked at how some of the results went. I still think we can do it, but to say I'm confident, I think would be a stretch at the moment. Um, lots of you asking sort of questions about the formation, about the system, about the team. Um, I'm not going to go into that just because we're going to do the preview show later on today. So I'll share with you guys my thoughts on how we should set up, how we should line up. And as previously mentioned, how we should minimise the impact of those injuries. So lots of formation questions, team selection questions. I'm not ignoring them. I will pick them up, I promise, uh, on the show later on. So join us at 5 p.m. UK time. Um, and uh, yeah, I look forward uh, to catching you all then for that in-depth preview of Arsenal versus Brighton and Hove Albion at Emirates Stadium on Saturday afternoon. OK, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to catch you all later on. Don't forget, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. Let's try and get up to 50 likes. Uh, I'd really, really appreciate that. There's more than enough of you watching uh, for us to get there sooner rather than later. Just a quick recap of those stories brought to you today on the Press Review. According to the Express, Arsenal, Manchester United and Spurs have been told that Darwin Nunez of Benfica would cost them £67 million this summer. As I say, I'm not sure that it would take that much money to get that deal done. I think it's one that can be done for a lower fee. Uh, Arsenal also said to be keen on Aston Villa defender Esri Konsa. That's according to Football Insider. And I guess the big question around that is, what implications would that have on William Saliba's future? Or does that mean that the club, if indeed this is true, feel that William Saliba is already headed for the exit? Leeds and Brighton, according to Ekrem Connor, are circling around Eddie Nketiah, who will be available on a free transfer this summer. And Real Betis are planning to open up talks with the Gunners over the permanent signing of 27-year-old fullback Hector Bayerin, who is currently there in Seville on loan with Rail Betis. Don't forget to hit the like button. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. If you're new, we're creeping closer towards that 20K mark here on the YouTube channel. If you're an audio podcast listener, please do leave us a review. That really, really does help as well. And I'll be back, as I say, a little bit later on with an in-depth preview of Arsenal versus Brighton. Looking forward to it. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. 